Thanks for downloading this episode of Pod Academy. I'm Alex Bird. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. On January 20th, Donald Trump became the 45th President of the United States. The Office of President of the United States. The Office of President of the United States. April 29th marks his 100th day in office. The honeymoon period has been short, however. He has already clashed with the media, the courts, and his own people. Despite running on a platform of isolationism and non-intervention, President Trump has become increasingly active in the area of foreign policy. Mr. President, let me explain something to you. This is during dessert. We've just fired 59 missiles. Last August, I met with Professor Peter Trubovitz, an expert on US foreign policy and the director of the United States Center at the London School of Economics. Today, I've returned to find out what the professor makes of the new president's actions on the world stage in his first 100 days of power. But we started by grading the opening stages of the Trump administration. Oh, I, I think probably I could get myself to a C minus, um, you know, overall, kind of using the American grading scale of A to F. Um, you know, he came into office saying he was going to shake things up in Washington and that he was going to pass a raft of legislation. He laid that out in his 100-day contract with the American people. He ran on that. So I'd say he's shaking things up in Washington, but um, on the legislative front, you'd be hard-pressed to find one item on his list, fill the full page. That document was a two-page document. I have it open on my computer right here. I looked it up just to make sure that, go back over it. And, um, and none of those things have, have um, um, passed. He put one of them forward, um, repealing and replacing Obamacare, which is, you know, went down in flames. Um, there's a lot of talk about bringing it back, um, you know, kind of zombie style or something, and perhaps it comes back. But so I think kind of overall, he's, he's made good on the promise of shaking things up. Um, he's, um, but uh, in terms of accomplishments, the record's pretty thin, and I think that's why you're seeing all this last-minute activity where he'll announce tax cuts or at least lay out some principles because he realizes that he's likely to get hoisted on his own petard by the mainstream media over this. Do you think the idea of the kind of the 100 days marker is a useful one for US presidents or is it kind of a little bit more of a media invention? It's not a media invention. It, it, it dates back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Roosevelt's first 100 days where he passed 15 major acts. That's a tough act to follow. Um, and every president ever since has kind of shied away from the, the 100 day um, uh, bar. I think it's, it's you know, the, the media, of course, makes a big deal about it. It's a great story. You know, you can, you can rate people. You can ask them what kind of grade are you going to give the president and so forth. I think it's important only in the sense that what you can expect in the first 100 days from a president is a um, you have reason to expect some sense of the tone and the style of an administration and what their aspirations are, and kind of laying out a set of principles and an agenda and really even a, a timetable about kind of like how you're going to you get there. And um, 
So I think that that's it's fair to compare him against that. Nobody stacks up well against FDR. I know Trump is saying no president has been as successful as he has. FDR was a titan. So when I spoke, you spoke about how foreign governments would be concerned that America would withdraw from the world with Trump's election. Right. Do you think that's come to pass, or we've really seen a more active U.S. than we expected? Oh, you know, I'm reminded of that old line from uh, Zhou Enlai, uh, the Mao Zedong's uh, premier, when asked what he thought about the French Revolution of 1789. He said, it's too early to tell in terms of its impact. Um, I think what Trump has done is really kind of unsettled the West in particular. Um, and uh, while he hasn't retrenched and pulled back uh, in any kind of fundamental way, he's raised lots of doubts about the credibility of American commitments, whether they're commitments to European allies, uh, or to America's uh, Asian allies. He's introduced a level of uncertainty um, that I think, frankly, he telegraphed, so it's not like a huge surprise, you know, but, uh, but nevertheless, when the rubber hits the road, when uh, uh, Merkel comes to Washington and can't get, like, a handshake, you know, and can't get, you know, a sense, can't go home with a sense of... Uh, that the president of the United States has Germany's back, um, you know, that that's, that is unsettling and it fuels fears, you know, kind of maybe not that America is going to pick up its marbles and go home 1920 style after World War One, but raises more questions about you know, whether the United States is really in the foxhole and, um, you know, uh, or, you know, it just raises questions about um, about the credibility of, of uh, longstanding U.S. commitments to an open world economy, to shared security, to multilateral governance, these kinds of things that America's allies have more or less taken for granted for okay, there's been ups and downs, but for, let's say, 70 years, they're not so confident right now. His, uh, his one major uh, effort of domestic reform with healthcare, which they yeah. said didn't go well, we've now seen him become more active in foreign policy. Do you think, you think those two things are related, and so the president could be more effective on the world stage? I do think they're related. I mean, I, th I also think they're independent. I mean, I think he has... Uh, he has uh, set of things that he wants that we just talked about, America first, that he wants to accomplish on the foreign policy side. And I think he has things he wants to accomplish on the, on the domestic side. I think what he's learning is that it's hard to be successful on the foreign policy front, uh, you know, to get what you want, you know, that you get pushback from your allies, you get pushback from competitors, heck, you get pushback from Pyongyang, you know, um, and, um, and it requires domestic political support and people have to buy in and that's not, you know, a given, um, especially when you don't win a mandate in the election. I mean, this is a guy that won the Electoral College but lost the popular vote and lost it by a lot. So, um, so there's questions about legitimacy and so forth that are kind of behind everything. And so that, that complicates matters. When you can't succeed domestically or you have problems, you run into 
walls, like you know the resistance over healthcare, it does, I think, create incentives to look kind of internationally. That's a kind of standard view in the United States that it's easier for the president to get stuff done internationally because there's fewer players. I mean, he doesn't have 535, you know, members of Congress and the Senate to negotiate with. He's just got a few international leaders. Now, I that's kind of over, overdone. But um, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that um, uh, often, this is not just true of American leaders, when you stumble at home domestically, there's a temptation to try to demonstrate your competence somewhere else. Do you think he's succeeded in demonstrating that competence so far? Um, well, I mean, the example that people throw out there are the 59 cruise missiles that he launched against a Syrian airfield. And, you know, so, um, and a lot of, a lot of, you know, folks in the mainstream media in the United States, um, and I would say kind of centrist in the Congress, gave him high marks for that. Um, you know, that he acted decisively. He clearly acted, you know, he acted quickly. He reversed himself within about maybe 72 hours or something. First, you know, Assad could stay, then Assad had to go. and. Um, but, you know, this was kind of closer to what, you know, kind of uh, liberal internationalist and centrist in the United States would expect of a president when a leader in a foreign country violates a norm like you don't use chemical weapons on your people. They expect the leader of the free world, the American president, to stand up and do something about it. Um, but launching 59 missiles doesn't constitute a foreign policy agenda. And, um, you know, so I think kind of this is one of those things where, you know, the issue is what's the follow-up and how does this square with a kind of larger agenda? Um, I think one of the things probably that Trump has taken from this is, you know, uh, at one level, it's kind of easy to use military power, you know. Um, you got to be careful about that, though, because you can, before you know it, you can be sucked into something that you didn't anticipate. And while it might be easy to go against a Syrian airfield and kind of walk away from it without you know, a whole lot with things escalating out of control, that might be a lot different if you launch 59 cruise missiles against the North Koreans uh, because they got plenty of nuclear short-range missiles that could hit Seoul and could hit Tokyo. Just moving on to North Korea, do you think, uh, have North Korea acted any differently than they, or have they become more assertive with Trump, or do you think it's more of a case of people are more panicked with what they're doing because it's Trump who's sitting across from them? I think they're probing. I think they're they're testing. This is what I would expect of foreign leaders. Uh, if a if a if a a candidate runs on a kind of America first that platform that many viewed as an America in retreat platform, um, then the obvious thing for America's adversaries is to test and to probe. 
whether it's you know Beijing or it's Moscow or it's Tehran or it's Pyongyang, and so I think there's you know there was some probing on 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 that side, um, and I you know I think um, uh, and I, I don't think it's just because he wants attention. I think. I think he's trying to find out what the parameters are here and probably also trying to find out where Beijing really stands and the extent to which Beijing has got his back or, or, or doesn't. Um, but I, I, think, um, I think for Trump, this, you know, North Korea is more of a problem than he anticipated. You know, you go back and you remember that first interview, that first meeting he had with Barack Obama after the election, when he went to the White House, it was either the next day or the day after. And um, and he said, well, you know, there was one thing I, I was really like, I don't know, I'm paraphrasing here, but really an eye-opener. Well, and everybody says the eye-opener was, you know, North Korea is a lot closer to, to developing an intercontinental capability than most people think. And that um, uh, that Obama effectively was telling him, I'm leaving office, they don't have it. This is likely to happen while you're in office, you know. Uh, this is your problem now. And um, and it's a big problem, and it's going to complicate some of the calc some of the uh, ideas that you have about dealing with China, uh, because you're going to need Chinese support. Because to the extent that anybody has influence, and I think this is really inflated, but you know that China has influence in the in in North Korea because of North Korean economic dependence on China. But you know, I, I think one shouldn't overstate that. Um, uh, you know. Um, uh, there's there's uh, power in weakness and in recklessness, and uh, they're they're able to pull Beijing's chain too. It seems, um, but at any rate, I, I think the point here is that um, you know for Trump, this is a bigger problem for him than I think he you know than he, than he had certainly thought about during the campaign, and it doesn't lend itself to an easy military solution. It may be that the United States ultimately, in conjunction with allies and so forth, does use military force there. But it's not obvious that, you know, uh, that using military force there won't lead to um, uh, an escalation of, of tensions and, a, and a, a broadening of the conflict, uh, either on the peninsula or beyond. What have you made of this kind of interaction with China? As I've said, do you think they've been tempered by... Uh, North Korea, tempered by the reality of China, he kind of his rhetoric going into the election was very strong on China's currency manipulators and stealing jobs. And um, it, it's hard to say for sure. I think part of it has to do with, uh, as you as you suggested in the question, a recognition that he has uh, other things he wants to achieve in the region that require working with China and requires some support from Beijing. Um, I think it reflects also the um, uh, that Beijing, I think, has signaled that it is prepared to kind of revisit some of the economic arrangements. They put out this kind of, you know, they proposed this, uh, I think it was another 100-day kind of, uh, you know, um, assessment period. Um, I think it also, uh, so that where the relationship can be, the economic side of the relationship can be revisited and perhaps recalibrated, um, I think it also partly reflects 
um, the fact that um, Trump is still able to push on China through unilateral executive orders, like he did uh, last week on um, the steel question and steel imports, which is, you know, I mean, China's a huge steel producer and an exporter, and the focus is on dumping, and so he's a, in a way to, able to have it kind of both ways. I think it also, you know, does reflect the fact that, you know, inside the United States, there's not a clear consensus on how the U.S. should be dealing um, with China. Um, you have some who want the United States to get really tough with China economically, uh, and others who are kind of more internationalist and in orientation who still think that a kind of open uh, trading relationship with China is important and that um, uh, and kind of integrating China into the world economy is in the America's long-term interest. And then just finally, I mean, you have and not it's not last, you know, but. Um, uh, importantly, is where America's allies are in the region, whether it's, uh, you know, Australia or it's it's Japan or it's South Korea. I mean, they want a more tempered and even-handed or ba maybe not even-handed, that's not the right word, but a balanced approach towards towards China. Um, and the last thing they want is more instability and turmoil in the region. I think it was after Trump had met with Xi Jinping, yeah. he said, after listening for 10 minutes on North Korea, I realized it's not so easy. Right. Do you think that will, that will come to be the telling quote about Trump's presidency, and especially in foreign policy, that it's not quite as simple as he said, told everyone it was going to be? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we see a lot of that is, you know, there's a lot of inconsistency in the administration. I mean, there's a very steep learning curve for this guy. This is, you know... Um, one of the reasons people voted for him is he was not part of the Washington establishment. One of the downsides of not being kind of no being inside the Washington Beltway and having all that experience is that you don't know about problems like this, or you haven't kind of. It, you maybe you could argue you come in with a fresh set of eyes, but um, but you're you're coming in with very limited um, uh, information and knowledge about it, and um, so I I think. Uh, this is only one of a number of examples, but it's a it's a, a serious one. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, he said the same thing about health care. Who knew it was so complicated? <laughs> Ask Barack Obama. You know, I mean, yeah, it's complicated. It's hard to get like all those parts moving in the same direction and so forth. And and uh, and it's easy to say you're going to repeal it. You're going to repeal it with what? You know, you're gonna, you can repeal, what are you going to replace it with? Right now, I was just looking at one of the, the I think it's um, uh, NBC uh, Wall Street Journal poll shows that 59 or 60 percent of Americans want the federal government to do more. To do more. I mean, this is like... You know, if you had asked people six months ago whether that finding was possible, the answer is no, 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 you know. And and uh, so he can't just, like, throw stuff overboard. I mean, if that, that figure is like, you know, I think what that underscores is, 
in part the frustration that many Americans feel about like what was happening on health care, that the guy was about to take away their health care, you know. And, and um, so that's a surprising number that just came out uh, a, a couple of days ago. And so I, I think kind of, yeah, is that the telling quote? I mean, it's, you know, America hired somebody without a whole lot of experience in this realm. And it's not business experience doesn't automatically translate into kind of uh, a political skill set. Jumping a little bit more over, over to the West, as you mentioned, they were concerned with Trump coming to power. Yeah. Will they be heartened by Trump deciding that he no longer thinks that NATO is as obsolete as he originally thought? Um, I, well, that can only be viewed as kind of like positive that I, you know, and that by, by many Western leaders, I think the question they may have is how deep does that commitment run? I mean, that's up against, you have to stack that up against about 25 years of Trump railing against NATO. People say he has no real long-term principled positions. Well, I don't know how principled the position is, but it's been long-term. He's been talking about NATO back, you go back to interviews and in the uh, early 1990s that, you know, he did. And, and, um, uh, and he was talking about how it was a one-way street and NATO allies were, you know, kind of taking advantage of the United States. I, I think it's, um, you know, uh, I think it, it's, it's reassuring to m many um, kind of, uh, it, it's a hopeful sign for many European leaders. And it, you know, kind of what Trump has done these first hundred days with with Europe is engaged in a kind of good cop, bad cop routine where he's the bad. I mean, what's unusual about this, usually the president is the good cop and he sends out bad cops, you know, but he's the bad cop or has been the bad cop. And the good cops are he sent Pence over there. Tillerson's gone over there. Mattis has gone over, you know, come over to Europe on the, this side of the pond and they try to reassure everybody about kind of America, the credibility of America's commitments. And we're still concerned about Russia and the possibility of Russia adventurism in the region and so forth and um, and I, I still think there's a there's still some of that going on um, but the needle seemed to have moved a little bit kind of seemed to have moved a little bit more in the direction of we're, we're all good cops here um, and um, you know I, but I think one just has to wait and see on that one do you think there'll still be concern that he's largely supported leaders in Europe who are or no, not leaders, but insurgent political forces that are against the kind of established uh, political parties in the West, for instance, it's kind of implied support for Pen, they're not sure. explicit, kind of support for Erdogan and Turkey, yeah, and obviously it's a complicated relationship with Putin. Of yeah, so I think, well, that was one source of real concern um, during the campaign as Trump got traction, and especially immediately after, um, and, and then, you know, with the inaugural and, in those, uh, the, the first salvos coming out of the administration. And I, I think that is, that remains a cause for concern. Um, and I think there's some, you know, I think some, an objective observer looking at this might wonder uh, about the extent to which this is driven by his own problems domestically with respect to Putin. Um, and um, right now it serves his interest to, to look tough on Putin and on, on Moscow. And one way to signal that 
is that you take NATO more seriously. Um, and uh, um, so, uh, you know, I, th I think, you know, part of the problem with Trump's approach to governing, which is, you know, governing by tweet and, you know, changing his kind of flipping things around and kind of playing on or trying to exploit uncertainty about where he's going to move is that, in fact, people are uncertain about kind of like any commitment that he makes. Like, is it is it really good and is, can they count on it or could they wake up? a couple weeks later and suddenly he's decided, you know, actually, actually, I'm not sure we have like Europe's back, you know, so that's, there's an upside and a downside to introducing that kind of uncertainty. And in some ways it does kind of, you know, enhance your negotiating position, but it also raises questions about kind of what your true intentions are. To what extent do you think that kind of his decision to put on a stronger position against the Russians informed his actions in Syria, or is it more likely, it's also been reported, that his decision was more emotive and driven by the pictures that he saw and was more of an instinctive reaction? I would identify a third factor. Um, it was the un-Obama move. So one of the things about Trump's first hundred days, if you look at kind of what he's done, is how much of it is like just it's like the opposite of Obama. So where Obama on the question of kind of Syrian transgression of the kind of norm of not using chemical weapons, right, deliberated and deliberated and deliberated, Trump moved like decisively, even kind of and in the process reversed his position on Syria and on Assad and so forth. I think it turned out, um, I, I think the, the fact that moving decisively there was consistent with his own political circumstances, I don't think that was lost on him. Um, and, but I'm not sure that that, I, you know, I think it's a, it's a leap to say that he did that for, you know, um, narrow political, domestic political reasons, but it certainly took the Putin story, uh, kind of Russian um, uh, intervention in the election campaign off the front burner, you know, for the time being. That's a story that's not going away. The problem being, though, do you think he knows what his next step is in Syria, having now put his foot in the situation? I, I'm, I'm not sure. And I think, you know, he got his... He certainly got a message from a lot of people that in his kind of like the core Trump base, you know, um, that uh, they don't want to see, they don't want to see that this, they would be very unhappy if this was the beginning of a long-term commitment in the region. I would be surprised if it were the beginning of a kind of long-term, uh, you know, kind of a larger American um, intervention, but it's, you know, um, you can uh, not want that uh, and still end up doing it um, because of, you know, a set of conditions that just kind of like constrain your options. But, um, you know, I think he was happy to kind of show decisiveness, use military force there and, and, uh, and, and move on. Do you think it's the case that he's 
he's come to power at the worst possible time, essentially for, an, for a man who no, has no experience in the executive or legislative, given what's going on in Syria, what's going on in North Korea, what's all the kind of changes in power in Europe. I think that makes it, uh, that, that just lowers the bar too much for Donald Trump. I mean, now, Barack Obama came in when the wheels were coming off the bus. Donald Trump didn't. Donald Trump didn't inherit a mess. Donald Trump, I would say, kind of got what we might call the average hand that a president gets. And we can debate like what he's done with the cards that he's been given, but Barack Obama got handed a very tough set of cards. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of kind of setting the, the bar too low for Donald Trump. So I'm not saying he doesn't face challenges. He does, but every president faces challenges. What FDR really understood, I think, kind of deep down, is that what Americans value the most is competency. That's the test. That's where the bar is for, for Donald Trump. That's what he has to demonstrate. information on Pod Academy, please visit our website at www.podacademy.org or follow us on Twitter at Pod Academy. Our programs are available online and via iTunes. Thanks for listening.